This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Man, amen. Glory to God. Hey, listen, I, I, I told Chris, I said, man, if I, this is where I would want to come to church. This is a great church, isn't it? Amen. You got, you got it going on, friends. Listen, you need to be bringing people to this church. It's a great church. There's, it, it offers Jesus to people. So, hey, come on. It's a, and I just appreciate everything. Uh, I appreciate you allowing me to come and, you know, um, all the nice things Chris said and, and uh, the things that I can't say. I was like, I can't. Uh, Blythe was like, what stories are you going to share? And I told her the story I was going to share. She's like, you, you can't share that. And I was like, why not? It's <laughs> so anyway, but you know, when does, when does a, a kid that was in your youth group, that was ornery, you know, he was kind of a balance for me in a lot of ways. Because like the, you know, we would, we would go do these outreaches all the time. And, and uh, the, you know, the kids will be kids, you know, they're, they're messing around, carrying people out on their cots and taping them to their cots and putting them in the hall and just doing different things. And, and I would be like, you can't do that, guys. Come on, let's go. And Chris is like, it's okay, Pastor. Calm down. It's okay. You know, he'd tell me, it's okay. It's okay. We can, we're just having fun, you know. And, and uh, But, uh, you know, when does a kid become your mentor, you know? And if you're in ministry long enough and following Jesus long enough, um, I, I uh, was talking about this with Blythe, you know. I call Chris more than he calls me, and he always speaks to me in wisdom, always, and I just, he is my mentor, you know, um, uh, and so I just appreciate that about him, and so uh, I want to thank him and Angie for allowing me to be here and inviting me to come. It's incredible, and uh, so your beautiful family, God has just done great things. Amen? Amen. So any Chiefs fans? Yeah, so God moves in Tulsa, Oklahoma, yeah? <laughs> so, yeah, they had a good game last night. I didn't get to see it. I was on my way here. But, um, but you know, my wife told me one time, she said, you know, Billy, she said, if you would lose about 40 pounds and bulk up some, you'd kind of look like Travis Kelsey. <laughs> I was like, well, if he would gain about 40 pounds and, you know, lose that six-pack into a one-pack, you know, he would look like me. So, so it goes both ways, but yeah, the Chiefs are doing good, uh, that's, that's great, amen? Keep, keep them in your prayers. <laughs> Many of you probably know Chris and Angie, uh, and you know their story, they started dating um, uh, when Chris was young, and, and uh, you know, I, notice I say when Chris was young, and uh, if you know the story, so thin ice here, huh? No, 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 I'm teasing, Angie was young also, and uh and, and she still is. And Chris has passed her in age. Back then, he was older than her, but not anymore. And uh, so, but way back then, he was in youth, and she was a youth sponsor. And, um, you know, they were uh, interested in each other. And, and of course, you know, you could, you could tell that, right? You know, and uh, it was a little tricky because, you know, you know people kind of go to jail for that sort of thing. And, and so, so uh, but, but they spoke to their parents, and then they... They, uh, they came and uh, both sets of their parents and got permission from them to, to, to court one another, so to speak. And, uh, and, and then they came to me and, and asked my blessing and my permission, which they didn't need to do. They did it out of honor, and I thought that was uh, incredible. But anyway, look, look fast forward to them right now. You know, fast forward to today, 
and look at their family, look at their kids, look at what God is using them to do. They are beautiful people inside and out. And, and can I just say, they were all in. They were passionate. You know, they, they were passionate about each other at that moment, and they still are. They were passionate about being God-fearing, God-loving young people, you know, and they were all in. And look what it has produced. Amen? It's worth it, friends, to be all in, to be passionate about Jesus Christ. And when I became a youth pastor, I, I never dreamed, uh, you know, that I would be a youth pastor. I didn't like kids, and uh, uh, maybe that's why God gave me eight of them. I don't know, but... Uh, but uh, I didn't want to be a youth pastor. I just, you know, the reason I became a youth pastor, though, was because of Chris's dad, Steve Dow. So Steve Dow was a man that was passionately all in. And, and uh, he was passionate about missions. He was passionate about preaching. He was passionate about seeing people saved. And I thought, man, I want to serve with somebody like that. And so I did. He asked me to come become his youth pastor, and I did. And, and I got my little office set up. I, I didn't know what to do, how to do it. I, I didn't know who to call. I didn't know anything about being youth ministry. And I was sitting in my little office and just asking the Lord, what am I going to do? And the Lord just kind of spoke to me and said, Heal your strengths and uh, work on your weaknesses. And, well, I could think of all my weaknesses that need to be worked on, and uh, I couldn't think of any strengths. Then I'm like, well, what, what in the world? It sounds like a good leadership guru statement. You know, that's, that's good, God, that you told me that. I like it. But uh, so what, what am I supposed to do? And, and I just came off the evangelistic field. I was traveling as an, uh, you know, an evangelist, having a great time, seeing people baptized in the Holy Spirit, seeing people say, saved. It was a lot of fun, you know, and, and uh um, I said, well, okay, that's a strength of mine. So I picked up the phone. I didn't have cell phones back then, believe it or not. But uh, I picked up the phone and started calling all these pastors that I had booked, you know. And I'd just tell them, hey, look, I'm not a traveling evangelist any longer. I became a youth pastor. But I'd still like to come to your church and do evangelism. But I want my, my youth to do it. And, and, you know, a handful of them said yes. And a handful of them said no. And, and uh, But uh, so the ones that said yes I had a service in about two weeks, you know, I had two weeks to pull these young people together, pray through and, and you know, figure out who's going to do the ministry. I didn't want to do any of the ministry, and I didn't. I never did. I didn't do any of the ministry. They did it all. And, uh, and Chris was uh, one of my preachers, and he, he mentioned that to you. 14 years old. He was 14 years old. Can you imagine that? And, uh, and listen, uh, one, of the, one of the stories I, t I remember is uh, being out in a, a little a community. We were way out in the middle of nowhere, you know, and uh, uh, literally way out in the middle of nowhere. 22 mi miles down the road was a bar named Nowhere. And uh, so, uh, you know, and, uh, but, uh, you know, the kids, they did worship. They preached. They, they gave altar calls. They prayed for people. And at the end, we took testimonies, and this young girl came up and said, I haven't been in the church uh, for, I don't know, it had been a long time, maybe uh, 15 years or so. She said, I haven't been in the church because my grandpa molested me for the first 12 years of my life, and I hated God, and I hated the church because her grandpa went to church, you know. And uh, uh, she said, but, but God has set me free, and I've forgiven my grandpa, and I want to serve Jesus. And she was weeping before the Lord. And, you know, Chris was one of those preachers, and I just thought, man, isn't that amazing? Yes, he was all in. He was a passionate kid. And, and uh, you know, you say, why are you telling us this? Hang with me. Uh, his senior year in high school, or maybe his junior year, was, you know, it was your senior year. They, they, uh, he was in a big school, 5A school, 2,000 kids, played on the basketball team. He was one of the starters, and they won state that year. That's a big deal, you know. And uh, 
um, you don't win state in a school like that without being all in. He was passionate about basketball. He was passionate about it, and I remember, I remember that. I remember him uh, playing ball so hard. He he ran after Jesus, but he played ball hard. He was passionate. You don't win win that kind of game. I remember when he went to Bible college and played for. Uh, Central Bible College. They are NCAA team, and they won two championships. And uh, while he played, he was a starting player for him. You know what? You don't win uh, college national championship games without being all in. Isn't that true? Without being passionate about what you're doing. Uh, why am I saying all that? He went from CBC uh, to get his master's degree. You know that's a lot of work, a lot of reading, a lot of study. And and then he came here as your youth pastor. You know more about him than I do, probably. And he had an incredible youth ministry. Why? Because he was all in. He saw young people changed. He saw young people serve the Lord, come to the Lord. It was great, a great ministry. Amen? Amen? Now, can I just say this? Listen, he didn't need to invite anyone to preach about being all in or being passionate because of the grace of God, because of how God changes you. Why? Because, because that attitude in him, that desire in him to, to love a girl, to love basketball, to love his kids, to, to love ministry, but most of all, to love his Jesus, amen, has already built an incredible legacy, a kingdom. He is a kingdom builder, and, and, and he, he's given you something to follow, and he knows about being passionate and about being all in, and I'm excited about that, amen? He didn't need me to come tell you that. He's already there. Glory to God. His life is the fruit of being all in. He, he is living proof of why you should be all in. Passionate about the things of God. Come on, are you with me? I'll show you my Travis Kelsey side. Passionate about your love for Jesus. Passionate about the, the work he wants to do. Jesus in you that will be seen through you, right? Right? So my job today is, is to challenge you about being all in, about being passionate about Jesus, about uh, allowing him to work in you, to be all in. And to live that in a balanced way, to live that in a balanced way so you're not weird. Can I just say being a passionate follower of Christ does not have to look weird? Are you with me? Now, if you're saying, well, I'm not sure if I'm weird or not, well, then ask your spouse. But, but you know, you need to want the honest answer. Uh, you, you're saying, well, that's not good enough. Ask your kids. Ask a good friend. You want to know if you're you, you need, am I weird? Ask somebody. <laughs> if none of that works, ask Pastor Chris. All right? So, so I'm being a little facetious, but just a little, because really, honestly, you can be all in and passionate for God and not be weird. So let me share this story with you from when I was a youth pastor. And uh, I, don't, I don't remember, Chris may have been in the youth group at that time, or he might have been off at college, but uh, uh, I'll try and make this quick. But I was in the Target checkout line, and uh, uh, um, there, the young lady was checking me out. She's probably in high school herself, and... Uh, and so uh, I, I've never, at that point, you know, I, she had piercings, you know, uh, and I never really kind of looked at those, you know, I never really take, you know, and I was sitting there, you know, and she's checking me out, and for whatever reason, I was looking at her piercings, and I, 
and I was just kind of enamored by them for some reason. So I'm kind of leaning over, trying to get close to her, and she's checking me out. She'd look at me, and I'd kind of look away, you know, and I think, oh, man, she's going to think I'm so weird, you know. But so finally, I had looked at her so much, you know, finally I just said, oh, oh okay, uh, um, can I just ask you, I probably, you probably get this all the time, and I was looking at her, her, her brow, that she had one pierced right here, you know, through that big portion of your skin, you know, and it was just, I was like, did, did that hurt? <laughs> you know, I said, she said, yeah, I do get it all the time, but, but uh, I get comments, you know, but she said, no, it didn't hurt, it didn't hurt, but then she said, but this did, and she flopped out a big old tongue ring, she went, Whoop, and it just kind of flopped out, you know, and uh, I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, she said, now this one, this one, I could feel it. She got in, she was telling me about it, you know, she, I could feel it crunching through the different layers of my tongue, and it was going, you know, and she said, it hurt, man, it made me cry, she said, it made me cry, <laughs> and I'm just looking at her thinking, yeah, you know, and, and I, I kept looking at her, and she's ringing me out, you know, and I started thinking, you know, she's no different than any person, you know, she's just no different, she's just a human being right here talking to me, and and talking about her, her, her piercings, you know, and, and uh, uh, I looked at her, and I, I just was overwhelmed with this, you know, I don't know why, but I just looked at her, and I said, listen, I said, I want to tell you something, she said, okay, I said, and I handed her a, a gospel track, you know, and I said, Christ, Jesus Christ could turn this world upside down with, with, with that kind of passion that you had for, you know, getting these piercings, you know. And I handed her this trap, and I invited her to church. I said, hey, let me show you how Jesus can use you to turn the world upside down. And, you know, she, she was common, normal. Why did she have all those piercings? What, what caused her to, to get, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe it was the style for her, like this is cool, you know. And so she was passionate about style, and she wanted that, you know. Maybe it was, uh, you know, just to be different. You know, maybe she was like, I just want to be different than other people, and she was passionate about that. You know, maybe it was just to get at her parents, you know. That's why I would have done it as a kid, just to get at your parents, you know. I, I don't know, but for whatever reason, she was all in, right? Right? She, I mean, you had to be. Come on, crunt, you know. Otherwise, meet me in the prayer room. I'm going to pierce your tongue today. So, so what, what Jesus could do with that kind of commitment, that kind of passion, the potential's unlimited. You know, the results are unsurpassable in some ways. And, and if, if Jesus could have that kind of passion from each of us today, if we would say, I'm all in, I'm all in. You know, you say, you're, you're, you're just as committed today. You're just as passionate as that young lady in the Target checkout line. And you say, no, 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 I don't have any piercings. That's not, okay, follow me here. You have dreams. You have goals and, and determinations. Maybe not the body piercings, but, it, but it, it's, we are all passionate. We're all in about something. And you say, no, 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 you don't know me, buddy. You don't know me. I like chilling and eating hot dogs. You're going to look like a hot dog if you keep that up. So, so, but you're all in. Even if you're chilling and eating hot dogs, you're all in. You're passionate. You're just as committed as this young lady to fitting in, being like, maybe it's being popular or having fun, you know, getting what you want. Some people are all in about that, man. I'm going to get what I want, you know. Being a normal part, you're just all in. I want to be a normal part of a dysfunctional society. 
Sports. Could be sports. Work, right? Some people are just all in. They're passionate about work. Education. Retirement. Family. A relationship. What is it, friends? What is it? Listen, what is it? You're all in. You, you, maybe it's just being happy. I just want to be happy, man. I, I just, I'm all in. I want to be happy. My, my little 10-year-old, my oldest son Chandler talks about my little 10-year-old. He's like, that dude is all about the fun. If it's fun, he's in. You know, he just wants to have fun. Hey, let's go do this. It's fun. Let's play this. It's fun. Let's go throw the football. Let's do that. You know, he's all about the fun. Some people are just passionate about, about, you know, but listen, if you think through it, you're all in. At the end of the day, you're all in about something. You're passionate about something, and you don't express it with body piercings. You know, you may not be committed to that, but you're committed to something. So what is it? What is it that you're passionate about? And you say, well, why does it matter? Because listen to me, all of humanity Almost all of humanity, which includes you and I, we're already in, we're passionate about something. Maybe it's just surviving day to day. It was midnight the other night, and midnight, literally midnight, you know, like 12, like way past my bedtime, you know. And, and my wife taps me on the shoulder, you know, I can feel her, you know, she's nudging me. You awake? I'm like, Yeah. You know, I am now, you know, you know, <laughs> she's like, I want to go, I want to go pick up this homeless girl. I'm like, what? I saw her today. I talked to her. It's cold outside and I can't sleep. I'm thinking about her and she's over there weeping. She's crying. She can't, she's in the cold. Come on, let's go get her. I can't go get her by myself. I'm like, I, I can't, I don't run a rescue mission. I'm going, come on, I, you know. And so I'm arguing with her, you know, and saying, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. And, 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 and I'm over there praying too because, and, but next thing I know, I'm in my car, you know, and we're driving across town to get this girl. And so we did, you know, we did. You know, we, we, she was, you know, it was really cold that night. It was like 10 degrees. And, and so we walked up to her, and she knew her name from that day. So I was like, Ashley. Ashley, would you like a hotel? <laughs> you know, would you like to be warm tonight? And that young lady was passionate. She had her bike, and she had a, a garbage can, and she had uh, a couple of totes, and she had them all wired with, uh, you know, a steel wire wrapped through them, running into her sleeping bag and wrapped around her with a lock on them, you know. And she was just sleeping and snoozing. She was warm. She was, you know, she didn't care, and she was just passionate, you know. She had passion about just being warm and staying alive, and, you know, and she, she was all in. This lady, you say, well, she has nothing to be all in about. Yes, she did. All in, just about survival. And we know what it means. We, we understand it. And, and I just want to challenge you to recognize what you're passionate about. Recognize what you're all in about. And just shift that just a little bit. What does water boil at? Isn't it like 212 degrees? I think some of you are running at about 211. You know, that's good. Turn it up one degree. And see what God can do. Huh? One degree could change everything. Right? 
One degree cooks stuff, you know. One degree creates steam that runs giant ships and, and equipment, heavy equipment. One degree changes the, world, the known world. One degree. And you and I can change the world if we just shift our passion and being all in. In Ernest Gordman's book, Miracle on the River Kwai, he tells this story about some Scottish soldiers. Uh, they, were, they were forced by, they were caught, they were captives, and they were forced by uh, the Japanese to labor on jungle railroads, you know, which is, was not unusual during World War I. Uh, and so um, they had, but they had degenerated. These soldiers who were once comrades had, had you know, become barbarous towards one another, and, and uh, they had lost everything, you know, and they were mean to even each other. And, and, uh, but one afternoon something happened. Let me just read this story to you. A shovel was missing. The officer in charge became enraged. He demanded that the missing shovel be produced or else. When nobody in the squadron budged, the officer got his gun, and he threatened to kill them all on the spot. It was obvious that the officer meant what he said. Then finally, one man stepped forward. You know, they were all in line, and one man stepped forward about the missing shovel. The officer put away his gun picked up a shovel, and he beat that man to death. When, when it was over, the survivors had to pick up their comrade's bloody body and carry him with them, you know, to the next, uh, to the second tool check-in. When they got to the second tool check-in, this time, no shovel was missing. Indeed, it, it, had, it had been a miscount. There was no shovel missing. The word spread like wildfire through the, the whole camp. An innocent man had been willing to die to save others. The incident had a profound effect. The, man began, the men began to treat each other like brothers. When the victorious allies swept in, the survivors, human skeletons that they were, lined up in, fr in front of their captors, and instead of attacking their captors, they insisted no more hatred, no more killing, what we need and what we choose is forgiveness. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? From one man, one man stepping forward. One man, one degree. Come on. You think, really, it, it couldn't make a difference. I know, you know it can. It can change the world. It can change the world. Saul of, of Tarsus, better known as Paul. I want to read one, one passage this morning. I'm reading out of the Living Bible. It says it a little bit differently. Uh, it's on the overhead for you, but it says it this way. But life is worth nothing. But life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. Can you? <laughs> life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me for the Lord Jesus. Amen. Come on, receive that. We're done. Go home. That's it. Good, yeah? Yeah? Really, honestly. Then he says, then he says, the work of telling others the good news about God's mighty kindness and love. Life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. What is that work, Paul? The work of telling others the good news about God's mighty kindness and love. My, 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 my. Isn't that something? I'm amazed by that. I don't know why, but I read that and I'm like, dear Lord, 
But then I, I want to know, okay, what's going on in his life at this time? What's going on when he makes this statement? You know, maybe it's easy when things are going well, you know, and the church is doing well. People are coming and getting saved. And, yeah, man, life is worth nothing unless I do what Jesus has called me to do, you know. And, but what's going on in his life? He looks, he, he's on his third missionary journey, okay, so he's a little bit older. He's been through the mill. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. He knows what it's like, you know. And uh, he's talking to the believers, uh, the Ephesian church, which was a good, strong church. And, and uh, God did some mighty things through the Ephesian church. Matter of fact, most of the church plants that you read about were, came out of Ephesus. And he's on his way to Jerusalem, which will ultimately lead, ultimately lead to his imprisonment and his journey to Rome. You know, he ends up in Rome where most people believe that he was beheaded there. And, uh, and so this is where his journey is taking him, you know, through starting in Jerusalem. So in, if you back up to verse 18, it says this, When they arrived, he told them, when they arrived, you know, uh, near Ephesus, and, and he went and got the people, you know, the, the Ephesian church to meet him at the boat dock or the beach, or, you know, because he couldn't go to them. So they met him. And he, when they arrived, he told them, you men know that from day to day, I set, the day I set foot in Turkey until now, I've done the Lord's, Lord's work in humility. And with tears, he said. And I faced grave danger from the plots of the Jews against my life. Yet I never shrank from telling you the truth, either, either publicly or in your homes. I have one message for Jews and Gentiles alike. The necessity of turning from sin to God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now I'm going to Jerusalem, he says in verse 22. Drawn there irresistibly by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what awaits me. Verse 23, this is what he says. Listen, are you ready? Except that the Holy Spirit has told me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Jail and suffering lie ahead. Read through the book of Acts. Just sometime, you know, just read through the book of Acts and highlight every time Paul was persecuted. Started right away, right after his conversion. You know, he led some people to the Lord. They didn't like it. He had, they had a lower amount of basket outside the wall. That was his first experience right after conversion. Read about it. The Holy Spirit told He knew. He knew the Holy Spirit's voice. He knew what was going on. He knew. And I read this over and over and over. I'm still reading it over and over and over. Matter of fact, I, I, I printed this, this particular book off, and I bound it together to make it its own book, and, and I printed it with a margin on the side, you know, and I, I just have been reading through it over and over and over and writing notes and highlighting stuff, and I, I'm amazed I can't believe it. I'm like, Lord, I want more of this. He knows what awaits him. Persecution, the kind that hurts. You know what I'm saying? He knows what lays uh, what lies ahead. He knows what that that he's going to suffering, he said. The God the Holy Spirit told him suffering and, and jail lay, lay ahead. And not our kind of jail. When I was in the Army, I was stationed at Fort Riley, and, and uh, we had this little guy in our unit, 
that, you know, they used to call it double trouble. If you got in trouble in the civilian world, you'd get in trouble back when you got into the post, you know. And, and, uh, but he had gotten put in jail for something. And so uh, I, they sent us. I was with a team. I don't know how it worked out, but we went to get him out of jail, and he didn't want to leave. <laughs> He's like, man, the sheriff's wife brings in pie at least once a week. I don't have to work, and the food's better here in jail. I just want to stay right here. You know, <laughs> I'm like, what? that's crazy. Look, look, that's not the kind of jail was waiting for Paul, you understand? And, and, and he knew suffering and jail lied ahead, and yet he says, but life is worth nothing. Come on, he's speaking right to us. Life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about God's mighty kindness and love. Dear Lord, it makes me just want to fall on my knees right now. If it wasn't so hard to get up, I would. But, but you know, just to fall on my knees right now and just to cry out, Lord, because I need that. You know what I'm saying? And, and I'm not there yet, and I, I, I know, but I read that, and I'm like, oh, God, help us. And the only thing I can imagine as I read through this, and I'm reading it over and over and over, the only thing I can see that drove him, the only thing that, that kept him going was this good news about God's mighty kindness and love. He was passionate about that. He was all in about that. He was, he was passionate, completely all in. And he saw what God could do. I, and I believe those experiences, as a 14-year-old, and you may not even remember that girl. Like, I, we have different memories of that event, you know. But seeing that, seeing God move and, and wrestling with a demon-possessed guy who had sliced his, his arms hundreds of times, inviting demons to live in him and casting over 80 demons out of this guy, you know, that kind of experience, you know, changes you. This was... You know, when he was a kid, Chris was a kid, and he was all in because the kindness and love of God's good news. And that, that passion would lead him, if you follow his missionary journeys, it would lead him to Philippi and a prayer meeting at the river where he would see uh, his first European convert. The, the gospel would spread from there, and uh, Lydia and her household would come to the Lord, and, and she lived in, in, in the first, she was the, known, she's known as the first European convert, and, and it would spread across the Western world as we know it back then, and, and it would eventually cross the seas to the New World, and it would land in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and one man being all in, one man's passion changed the world. And we sit here today and you say, no, 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 that's a little bit too simple. Is it? Is it? Will you be able to say, I gave my time, talents, and treasures for the cause of Christ? I was all in. I was all in. I want to live in such a way that 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 people visit my grave just hoping to get some of what I ministered in. You know what I'm saying? Not that they could. Most people that walk through the church doors today, though, they want to know, what can the church do for me? How can the church help me? 
Before we're going to visit a church, if we're looking for a home church, we're going to Google it. We're going to read about it. We want to know what children's programs they have, what youth group they have. You know, and that's not bad. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I would encourage you to do that. But in that, think about that. Imagine that. You know, what can a church do for me? I wonder if William Seymour felt that way. He was a disabled black man. You know, he had lost an eye to, uh, I, I don't know what sickness is what. He got a sickness when he was a kid, and one of his eyes, he lost a sight in his eye, so he had a glass eye, you know. And uh, you know how those glass eyes were. They couldn't keep them straight, so it always looked a different way, you know. And, and uh, uh, my, my padan had a glass eye. I remember that. He used to take it out and let us play with it. <laughs> But but William Seymour, he's a disabled black man in a climate where it was anything but easy to be black, much less disabled. Yet God chose him to lead the Azusa Street Revival. And, and, And if you don't know anything about that, every major Pentecostal movement in the world traces its roots back to that that revival. From small beginnings, Doug Clay said, Pentecostalism in various forms has grown to include more than half a billion souls. It's one of history's most consequential people movements. The Assemblies of God, along with other Pentecostal denominations, traces its history back to Azusa Street. Imagine that. One man, all in. He was all in. Passionate. The world's different today because of him. What about Flory Evans? She was all in when she surrendered to Christ. And and some say when she testified, and this was her testimony, I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. That was her testimony. They said that those words would make a deep impression on the, the people that were present in that meeting. And the result effectively marked the start of the revival in Wales. We hear about D.L. Moody all the time, but what about the Sunday school teacher that led him to the Lord? That guy was all in. He was passionate. How about the name? I'd be really, really surprised if anybody ever heard this name. You might think you heard it, but really heard this name, Ken Balkin. I I worked with Ken Balkin. Uh, This is how I know the story. Most people don't know his name or never heard of him, but a humble, humble, incredible man. When he went to Bible college, he graduated, and right after Bible college, he became a builder um, because he wanted to minister in churches that couldn't afford to pay him. So he became a builder and built a business building, and then he became a youth pastor at this little church that couldn't afford to pay him. And he just loved on the kids. He just loved on the youth. And he, he found this one family, and, and the siblings came to the Lord, and they got involved with the youth group, and they were doing well. But the middle child, I think he was the middle child, he was just, he was just resistant. He was giving him pushback, you know. And instead of giving up on him, Ken just kept loving on this kid, kept inviting him, kept showing up at his house, kept bringing him out for pops and Cokes or whatever, you know. And, uh, and one day this kid did surrender his life to Jesus. And you may have heard his name, uh, John Lindell. He pastors a small church in Springfield uh, called James River. Can you imagine that? All in. Who? John Lindell? Yeah, he's all in. Yeah, yeah. But who? No, Ken Balkin. You never hear about him. You don't believe passion and being all in can change the world? I do. I do. Over 7 billion people in the world today, and about one in three 
claim to be Christians. And it all started at a prayer meeting with a gal who Paul led to the Lord by the river. Uh, Well, you know, maybe we should back up a little bit before Lydia and say, no, no, no. It started with a prayer meeting in an upper room with a motley crew of disciples that were just seeking God and and experienced the fulfillment of the prophecy in Joel. And were baptized with the Holy Spirit and spoke in other tongues. And people from all across the world heard them glorifying God in their own language. Yeah, we should back, maybe, no, 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 let's back up just a little bit further, probably back up to the risen Savior when he commissioned that motley crew, and he said, listen to me, and he spent 40 days with them, and some of his last words to them were, I want you to go into all the world, I want you to preach the gospel all across the world, you're going to have to be passionate, you're going to have to be all in, matter of fact, I want you to wait for the promise of the Father, and you'll be endued with power. From on high. Probably we should back up just a little further to not his last words as a resurrected Lord, but his last words as a human being. When he hung on the cross for you and I and he said, it is finished. He was passionate. He was all in. I think, I think Paul, I don't think Paul was in it to see what he could get out of it. Do you? I don't catch that anywhere when I read about Paul. I just don't catch that. I'm pretty convinced that the men who turned the world upside down, the, you know, the 12 apostles, were not in it for themselves. Matter of fact, they, they were all killed for their faith. They were all martyred. They were all, you know, they were all in. They were passionate. We, we can quote Jesus saying, not my will, but yours be done, right? It's like a story I, I read about a, a French soldier in, in the First World War. And uh, he, he was injured, and his arm was so badly smashed in this injury that it had to be amputated. Well, the story says he was a magnificent specimen of young manhood. In other words, he was just a good-looking kid, you know. And the doctor felt bad about, you know, that he's going to have to go through life maimed. So he waited beside his bedside. You know, all this is going on. And, and, but he waited there for him to come to. The guy opens his eyes, and the surgeon said to him, I'm sorry to tell you that you've lost your arm. This is the words of that young soldier. Sir, I didn't lose it. I gave it for France. Imagine that. Jesus Jesus was not helplessly caught up in a mesh of circumstances from which he could not break free. You realize that? Think about that for a moment. Apart from from any divine power he might have called in, it's quite clear that to the end he could have turned back and saved his life. He could have made that decision. He didn't lose his life. He gave it. Jesus gave his life. The cross wasn't thrust upon him. He willingly accepted it for you and I, friends, for you and I. Why? So that we could be all in. We can be passionate about what he did, the work he does in us that's going to show outside so others can hear. Right? That's what it's all about, right? No, 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 no. It's just about me feeling good after Sunday and going home and saying, that was a good, that was a good service. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Is that what it's about? Look, George McLeod wrote a poem that helps put things in perspective. He said this. He said, 
I simply argue that the cross be raised again at the center of the marketplace as well as on the steeple of the church. Hmm. I'm recovering the claim that Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves, on a town garbage heap, at a crossroad of politics, so cosmopolitan that they had to write his title in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. And at the kind of place where cynics talk smut and thieves curse and soldiers gamble. Because that's where he died. And that is what he died about. And that is where Christ's men ought to be. And what church people ought to be about. Amen? That's why the church grows. When it's people, the church, you and I are all in. When we're all in. When we're about that person, when we're, we're getting up at midnight and going to the homeless, when we're, when we're doing those things, right? All in. All in. Passionate. Jesus said if you lose your life from, you know, I just want to say this. If you get up at midnight, just be careful. Do it smart, you know, especially maybe, you know, that it's not always the smartest thing to do. So uh, Jesus said, Lose your life for my sake and the gospel, and you'll find it. But if you have found your life, you've already lost it. What, 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 what in the world? You know, you ever read that and think, what, are you, what in the world? You know, <laughs> he never asked for anything less. Are you with me? Come on, y'all need to stretch a little bit. He never asked for anything less. He wants us all in. He wants us passionate about what he can do inside us that will show through us. If you don't believe that, read through the Sermon on the Mount, then, then live the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Tim, Tim Mackey described the Sermon on the Mount as a, an iceberg where, where uh, you know, just, just a small percentage shows and, and over 80% of the icebergs underwater that you can't see it. And, and, and you know, it's just a little, and, but it's that 80% keeping that little bit floating. That's what the Sermon on the Mount's all about. It's where Jesus wants to work in the pe- part of you that you can't see, that people don't see. But that's what keeps what we can see floating. Amen? Look, holiness is what God produces inside of us that shows on the outside of us. Amen? We need to be passionate about that. We need to be all in. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. and I'm going to talk to you just a little bit longer than... There's a prayer room right outside these doors that there'll be people to guide you there and people to meet you there to pray with you and for you. If you're serious about being all in and you're like, man, I just want to do this. I want to be passionate about Jesus. I, I want to live a life passionate about Jesus. I don't want to look back someday and say, what, what in the world? Did I waste my time? Did I waste my life? Conviction is a sense of guilt and shame leading to repentance, right? A, a sense of guilt and shame that leads to repentance. But, but we can't stop there because that's not, not really a good definition of conviction. But it, it not only implies the exposure of sin, which is where the guilt and the shame might come, but also the repentance brings hope. Hope. Turning, turning from a life that's just, you know, you know, 
I know what it's like to get tired. I know. Man, I remember when I was just passionate and all in, but I just don't have the energy anymore. And, and friends, it's not about energy. It's not about, you know, how much you can do. I was just saved, just, just saved, like with, within weeks of my salvation. And this guy tells me, don't worry, you'll calm down, your passion, your, your being all in, you know, that'll fade and, you know, you'll be more normal, you know. And I wasn't being weird, I just, I'll be honest with you, all I was doing was not looking at girls in the college, I was in college and we were in the student union and I wasn't looking at girls, I wasn't, and he was you know, he's like, oh don't worry you'll, you'll lose that I was like, I'm done with this then if this isn't, if that's not real if I'm going to lose that, it's not real and I was broken, man, this guy had been saved for a long time, I thought I thought what he was saying was gospel truth, you know so I went home that night and I I was done. I was ready to walk away from Jesus. I was broken because I want something real. And I just was praying and crying, and, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Billy, it's not going to last. It's not meant to last. It's meant to be renewed. I was like, what? It's meant to be renewed. My relationship with Jesus Every morning that I spend time with him, every time I crack open the Bible and read it again, every time I'm mesmerized by what Paul did or what Peter did or, or, or every time I, I get into the revelation of Jesus Christ, every time, you, you understand, yeah, uh, it's meant to be renewed. It's not meant to last. And, and, and the more I'm in it, the longer I'm in it, the more I realize I need to renew it day by day. Glory to God. And I can look back 30 years ago and I can tell you that guy walked away from Jesus. He divorced his wife and he's not living for Jesus today. But glory to God, I've planted my feet in the word of God, in the house of the Lord and I'm passionate and I'm all in today as I was 30 years ago. Why? Because I've renewed it over and over again. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, look, I'm just a little bit tired. I understand what you're saying. Look, just get to your knees somehow, some way. Get to Jesus somehow some way, crack open the book again and go after him and go after him. Why? Because one person can change the world. But life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about God's mighty kindness and love. Can I pray for you? Would, would you just, if you're here today, and would you just bow your heads just for a moment? I'm not going to call you forward because there is the, the prayer room waiting for you, but I just want to pray for you. If you'd say to me, you know what? The Holy Spirit is connecting with me. Something is connecting with me. Pastor, I am all in. I'm passionate. But 
but man, I just, I am moved by what Paul said, just like you were. God, help me. God, help me. If that's you and you're just moved by that, would you slip your hand up? I want to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody at all? Yes. God bless you. Anybody else want to join this? We'll say yes. Passionate. Maybe you'd say, you know, I once was passionate. I once was all in, but I've lost that, and I need to renew it again. Yes, you're talking to, to me this morning. If that's you, slip your hand up high. I want to pray for you, anybody at all. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Listen, if you don't believe one person can change the world, you're missing it. And I would challenge you just to jump in with both feet and run after Jesus with all of your, your strength and might and heart and soul see what God can do. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person here. Lord, I pray, God, that they would look at their pastor and see a life that has been transformed by the power of God and a life that has been all in and passionate and what you've done through this young man. Lord, and you can do it again. God, I pray that that they would run after you and, and, and Lord, they would be nipping at the heels of Chris as he's Lord, running after you. And they would work out that passion. They would work out being all in with fear and trembling. They work out their salvation. They would turn to you over and over and over. And when somebody says stupid stuff to them, they wouldn't receive that. They would turn to you, Lord God. They would turn to you over and over and over. Lord, keep that fire burning. Keep that passion going. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.